It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Touchdown, Los Angeles. You are Locked On Rams, your daily Los Angeles Rams podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team. He makers, killer. Let's do it. This is it right here, man. Rams Nation, what's happening, what's good? It's your boy Bear Botter of Rams Podcast, but this is Lockdown Rams. Thursday edition of Lockdown Rams, live and fresh on Thursday. It's now about 10 a.m. on Thursday morning, and I just had a chat with Vinny Bonsignor, so we are just going right into that conversation. Guys, we appreciate everyone listening. Make sure you can find us at Lockdown Rams on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. Go join the conversation, reach out to us. I got some texts and calls over the past week, so I promise if you shot me a text or a call, I will get to it. Just want to get to some of these interviews. We got plenty of time, so I will be playing some of those next week as I'm kind of breaking it down. So if you have some more thoughts, feel free to reach out to us, send us a message. You can also hit us up on our Google number, 657-345-4988. But let's get right into the conversation with Vinny Bonsignor as I'm posting this late today. Tomorrow we have Serena Morales to close out the week. But until then, you know what it is, Rams Nation. Peace. Enjoy my conversation with Vinny. All right, Rams Nation, we are back. This is the Thursday edition, and this is live. This is Thursday today. I've got Vinny Bonsignor with us. Vinny, how you doing, bud? I'm doing good. How's everybody doing? Oh, man, it doesn't get fresher than this for a Thursday episode. We're sitting here about 9 in the morning having a chat. Um, You know, we both talked before we even jumped on here. Kind of that uh, Super Bowl, I don't want to say hangover, but everything that comes together after the Super Bowl, it's kind of an avalanche of information and just trying to get back. I mean, there's two weeks of hoopla getting ready for this game, so kind of getting back to earth has been an adjustment for both of us. We're back. We're both in L.A., Vinny, kind of recap as much as you can. I mean, I know we talked to you before the game and all the craziness that happened before that, but just kind of the day of the game uh, and then how this thing went and just overall, you know, Super Bowl recap from you, I guess. Yeah, it was definitely um, it was definitely an experience. I've never I've been to six Super Bowls as a reporter. Uh, first time, um, you know, covering a team that was in the Super Bowl, like my team in the Super Bowl. I know, you know, talking to... Gary Klein and Rich Hammond and, and Lindsay uh, over at ESPN and just about the the, the differences in the experience um, of when, you know, just covering it, uh, covering the Super Bowl and being there all week as just sort of a, you know, for your newspapers, uh, being the, the correspondent to the Super Bowl and how different that is, you know, actually covering the team is much more intense, much more um, focused. Uh, and, and you just had to be much more aware. So in the whole week was, you know, it was a, it was a grind, but it was, you know, uh, definitely rewarding uh, professionally. It was just a great experience. And, um, you know, it's funny because you'd see players, uh, you know, at the, at the various media events that we'd have. And, you know, there would be this, just this whole pack of people at everything. You know, every once in a while we'd catch each other, just the, the, a Ram player and a local reporter you know, that we see each other all the time, like every week, three, four days a week, five days a week almost, you know, and we'd kind of like shake our head and, you know, wink at each other like, you know, hey, you know, because it was like a familiar face. It kind of got to that point where all these people were there, but there was like some comfort level in seeing somebody that you actually knew 
you know, on a, on a, on a pretty routine uh, basis. So that was, that was pretty interesting. And the game, you know, the, the day of the game was a long wait. Um, kind of reminded me of the games that they had in Chicago, um, you know, where it was just that, it was just that long wait in your hotel room, you know, uh, in anticipation of getting over to the stadium and then, and then getting going like you normally, like you normally would. Um, the, the game itself, obviously you have all the, you have the big productions for the pregame and then the, the, the national anthem and then halftime is a, is a whole different deal. So there's a lot that you're, that you're dealing with that you're not normally dealing with on a regular season game. Um, but both teams have to deal with it, and no excuses, you know, on the on the Rams' part. They just got outplayed in a couple of key instances. Um, I thought that it was funny. I, I shared a plane coming back with the uh, the parents of a New England Patriots player. We were literally sitting right next to each other on the uh, on the plane back, and uh, uh, the son was an offensive player, and the mom was telling me, you know, she's like, she, he knew, you know, her son knows a lot of the, the Ram players and a lot of the round players on defense. And she, she told me that he was telling her and them and her, his Ram friends, man, everything you guys did defensively, we had no idea. We didn't see much of that on film. You changed it up. You tricked it. I mean, it was just like uh, a paying respect to the, to the defense that Wade Phillips had and the way the Rams executed it. And how much trouble it gave the new England Patriots. Um, and so I look at that and I hear that, and it's the same exact thing that happened on the other side of the ball with the Rams' offense and the and the Patriots' defense. There was just a lot that the Patriots did to change things up and change some of their own tendencies in how they went about defending teams uh, that gave the Rams problems. And I think the Patriots' offense and the Rams' offense both had difficulty making that adjustment in the game. And literally that forced it to become – just a couple of plays that the Patriots made and that the Rams didn't in the key moments in the fourth quarter. That's what this football game ultimately came down to. It was a masterful coaching performance, I thought, by Wade Phillips. It was a masterful coaching performance by Bill Belichick. And that's not to take anything away from the offensive coaches. It just shows you how difficult it is when you give really good coaches two weeks preparation time to defend great offenses and come up with a plan that, um, as the Rams and the Patriots did, that forced it into a game that the kind of game that it became. And uh, the, the, the Patriots were up to the challenge of making the handful of plays that needed to make. They needed to make, and the, the Rams, unfortunately for them, weren't. And that's why they lost thirteen to thirteen to three. But uh, it was a great chess match. I know, um, you know, a lot of outside fans, you know, were bored by it. But if you really think about that game, every play counted. Um, Every snap counted, uh, and you got down to the to, to the fourth quarter. You had no idea who was going to make the play and who wasn't. And from that perspective, if you if you like good defense, it wasn't bad offense. It was, and there was some bad offense, but it was more good defense that was being played. Um, you know, and and unfortunately for the Rams, they just could not push over and get over that hump, and the Patriots were able to do it. And that's why they're the world champions right now. Yeah, Wade Phillips definitely is kind of this underlining story that's kind of gotten forgotten about as far as the good defense because it kind of just goes back to the lack of Rams offense because Tom Brady was able to put up a touchdown at the end and, you know, obviously win this game. So, you know, if it's the other way and it's, you know, we hit that Brandon Cooks touchdown, either one of them, I guess, at the end and, you know, make a run and win the game, maybe they're talking about how bad Brady performed and, you know, how they got out You know, it's just kind of funny how – like you said, coming into the fourth quarter, this thing was really up in the air, could have gone any way. 
And, you know, looking at it, here we are talking about the Rams and the lack of offense. And Wade Phillips' defense kind of gets uh, left out in that conversation. So you're right. The defense played amazing, and, and so did the Patriots on the other side. And, you know, you heard Sean McVay and Andrew Whitworth kind of say the same, that those parents said to you on the plane about, you know, we saw some stuff we didn't really see leading into this. So uh, both teams, you know, very confused offensively going into this. And I guess kind of to follow that up because that is such a big story in this I think Todd Gurley only had three touches in the first half and then got the ball a little bit more. But again, two weeks in a row, or not two weeks in a row, but two games in a row that Todd Gurley really wasn't utilized. And there's lots of questions about, is he injured still? And, you know, that that's people's excuse there. Uh, really, what's your take on that? And, you know, do you think he's injured? Do you think it just, I mean, what really happened as far as the downfall in the running game in the past two games? I think it was a combination of things, and I'm not trying to, uh, you know, cop out of an answer. But I think it was a it was a it was a combination of, um, you know, unfortunate circumstances. Number one, I don't think he's 100% healthy. Number two, you know, I think in that Saints game, um, he just wasn't um, uh, engaged mentally right off the bat. And I think that Sean McVay decided, I can't wait. Um, for you to get back engaged mentally. And I have another guy in, in C.J. Anderson that I'm comfortable with right now who's playing really well. I'm going to go in his direction. I don't think that that was the case on Sunday. Um, I just think that the way that game was structured and the way that game played out and what the Patriots were doing defensively, um, it just contributed to a lack of touches by Todd Gurley. I don't think it was necessarily because he was so hurt he couldn't perform. And I don't think it was a case where – where uh, Sean McVay lost all sorts of faith, faith with uh, faith in him and, and wasn't playing him as a result. I just think the way that game unfolded, uh, the amount of plays that the, that the Rams had, I, I, I went back and, and charted it play-by-play-by-play-by-play. By play by play by play. There were times where they got a, a little bit of a push, five-yard gain here, and then a holding penalty mm-hmm. or an offsides penalty or a sack. Um, you know, kept putting them off schedule and throwing them out of whack. And as a result, they didn't get enough plays. They didn't convert third downs. Um, you know, you convert a third down, all of a sudden you got a fresh set of downs. That's That that would have added to Todd Gurley's touches just naturally um, had they had more plays to utilize. Um, so I think that, you know, there's this big, big conspiracy theory out there. I don't believe that it exists. I just think that the game went in the wrong direction for the Rams offensively. They just couldn't get any traction. They just couldn't get into an offensive rhythm. They couldn't put together sustained drives. If you look through the through their season, when they were really rolling, they were putting together nice long drives where Todd Gurley would touch the ball multiple times on those drives and, you know, and, and get a, t- a defense back on their heels and, and guessing and, you know, out of sorts. And the Rams were able to take advantage of that. It always began with them being productive on first downs. When they're productive on first downs and get into second and manageables and third and manageables, they're really good. They just couldn't find that. Uh, Part of it was sometimes not having success on first down. Part of it was getting into a second and pretty reasonable, but then something would happen uh, to push them back a little bit. It's just kind of how the game went. And, um, you know, was he 100%? No, I don't think he was 100%. But I think it just got to a point where the Rams were trying to figure something out, some way to get some traction and get some rhythm, and they never could find it. And as a result, Todd Gurley's uh, you know numbers were down. C.J. Anderson's numbers were down. Obviously, Jared Goff's numbers were down. Brandon Cook's numbers were down. Robert Woods' numbers were down. I don't think they threw to a tight end. I have to go back and check. 
to see how many touches Gerald Everett and Tyler Higby got. Yeah, zero. It wasn't a lot. So everybody's numbers went down. It wasn't just Todd Gurley. It was just a complete, um, you know, uh, step back offensively by the Rams. And a lot of that goes to what the Patriots were doing. Yeah, you're right. Eight possessions, their first eight possessions. They didn't have a drive longer than five plays. It's tough to get anything going if you can't get a first down, move the chains, get a couple sets. Um, you're totally right there. And you're right, the, the tight ends, zero catches for either of those guys, zero targets for either of those guys. Uh, the big thing, the thing that we were talking about a lot on this show was who's going to be that secondary wave of offense, whether it's uh, the tight ends or even Reynolds. We just didn't see that come, and, and you're right. There was no kind of, if this isn't working, let's go to this. There was no secondary option. They just couldn't move the football uh, to get the game going, and, and that's definitely going to hurt you against uh, Tom Brady in the Super Bowl. So what we're going to do is i got a couple more questions about this game. Then we're going to start to look forward on what is next for the Rams. We're going to take a break, step aside, get a couple words from some sponsors. We'll be right back after this. Vinny Bonsignor, Thursday edition, Lockdown Rams, right after this. All right, guys, before we get to our other segment, want to talk to you about Lokai. I'm a huge supporter of them, and Lokai has got your back when you're looking for that little extra swag on game day. As I mentioned, me personally, I've been rocking their bracelet for years now, and especially their game day series, which I'm talking to you about now, comes in Rams colors. I've been rocking that the whole season. It's a bracelet that looks cool, got an awesome message, and supports incredible causes. The Lokai bracelet comes in Rams colors. Holds water from Mount Everest, the highest place on Earth, and mud from the Dead Sea, the lowest place on Earth, all in the same bracelet. And it's a daily reminder for us to stay balanced in the highs and lows in life. Perfect example, perfect bracelet for this season for the Rams. And since Lokai is friends of the show, they're offering you an exclusive discount, 25% off the game day collection. Also, another little fun incentive we're doing here. If you buy the Lokai bracelet, all you have to do is DM me in any of our social accounts, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, email me, show me a proof of purchase from their website, just screenshot it, and you'll be entered to win a Rams NFC playoff shirt, but you got to send me that DM of the slip showing that you bought the bracelet. Remember, go to Lokai.com, that's L-O-K-A-I.com, use the promo code RAMS25, so after the discount, that makes it like 17 bucks plus shipping. You got to check it out. Remember, also, it enters you to win an NFC championship or Super Bowl t-shirt from the Rams. So if you win, you're walking away with a Rams bracelet and a Rams shirt. Can't go wrong. Check it out. Lokai.com. Promo code RAMS25. The Suns rise in Orlando, but their playoff hopes set in the West. From our local experts to your ears, these are the biggest stories on the Locked On Podcast Network. Despite finishing a perfect 8-0 in the NBA bubble, the Phoenix Suns are leaving without a playoff berth. Check out Locked On Suns today for a postmortem on an amazing run by Devin Booker and company. That's all thanks to tiebreakers and a Karis LeVert jumper that rimmed out, giving the Portland Trail Blazers a win and a meeting with the Memphis Grizzlies in a play-in series for the Western Conference 8th seed. That begins on Saturday. Beginning today, all of the Locked On NBA playoff teams will be previewing the playoffs with special crossover shows. Scout your team and your opponent on the Locked On Podcast Network. 
local experts on the biggest stories. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, we are back. Thursday edition, Lockdown Rams, Bear Motter, Vinny Bonsignor, recapping this Super Bowl week, post-Super Bowl week, and kind of got a couple more questions. And really, this is pretty straightforward, and it's kind of a take-your-pick, but um, bigger letdown in the Super Bowl, Sean McVay or Jared Goff? Um, I'm a team guy. Um, you know, I, I don't think that you know you could just point to, to, to one person. I think that was a... It was a team effort, and, you know, uh, how Sean McVay looked, you know, uh, tied into how Jared Goff looked and vice versa, and also the offensive line, how the offensive line played. The offensive line didn't play, you know, very good, and that meant Todd Gurley and and C.J. Anderson weren't able to get going running-wise, and that affected Jared Goff in the passing game because there was no respect after a while being paid really to the run. The Patriots were able to stop the run at the point of attack and that allowed their defensive backs, safeties in particular, to just kind of sit back and play the pass and not even have to really honor the, the, you know, the play action. The, the, the Patriots, um, from some of my colleagues uh, who cover, who cover the, uh, the Patriots over on the Boston end of it, you know, uh, have been writing about how basically the safeties for the, for the Patriots were pretty much under orders. You don't take a step towards the run until you're guaranteed that the ball is in the ball carrier's hand. Um, and, and, that doesn't often happen because sometimes safeties are stiffing it out or, or playing on instincts and running. The, that's how you get burned, basically, on, on play-action pass. But their safeties weren't giving the Rams anything um, as far as the play-action pass. They were just sitting back in their zones and letting, okay, throw the ball because I'm right here. Because uh, they, they got comfortable in being able to stop the run um, you know, at, the, at the point of attack without the help of safeties. So it's all tied in. Um, you know, did, did Sean McVay handle things, you know, correctly? No, and he's going to learn from that, just as the offensive line will and, and Jared Goff will. But, again, I go back to the fact that they just couldn't get any continuity going offensively. They just couldn't get any traction and rhythm. And, you know, when I was mentioning I was going through the play-by-play and what, what happened on each, on each drive, you know, invariably I would, it would end with a punt with, for the Rams, right? You know, and then I would look at the Patriots. I didn't go through their play-by-play, but I could see what their result was. It was a punt too. It was punt, punt, right. punt, punt. Everybody was punt, punting. It wasn't like it was much different on the Patriots side too. That's the, the you know, that's the the, the the quirkiness of this of this game. Uh, the, almost the same exact thing that was happening to the Rams offensively was happening to the Patriots offensively. It's just when it got to the fourth quarter. Basically, the second half of the fourth quarter, and the and and somebody needed to make some plays. If you look at who made plays for the Patriots, it was Tom Brady, Rob Rob Gronkowski, and Julian Edelman. They got a little bit of help from some other people, but when he needed it, look who he turned to, uh, especially in the passing game, to just keep it going enough to get a touchdown and a field goal. It was his it was his two most reliable playmakers, and in in Jared Goff's case, there wasn't. Todd Gurley wasn't, you know, um, just was taken out of that game plan, um, partly by the Patriots, partly by decisions by McVay to go in a different direction at times. But he didn't have his playmakers weren't either available or, or up to the task, and, and neither was he in some cases as well, Jared Goff. So they were able to make the plays. They were able to get their best players to make some key plays, not a lot, but just enough, whereas the Rams weren't. 
Yeah, and, and you're right. It was just kind of like, like you said, it wasn't like the Patriots were coming down and had this explosive offense. It was a lot of punting. In fact, uh, record-breaking punting stats coming out of this game. Most punts uh, by the Rams and then, you know, the longest punt by Johnny Hecker. But uh, to fans outside the world, obviously a lot of lot of hate, a lot of hate coming from the Saints and, and you know, how everything went. And there was even some talk about the numbers and how, you know, people watch this Super Bowl. And, you know, I think that's going to be something moving forward that L.A. is going to have to always deal with. I think my biggest thing for that is, I don't really care. I don't really care what the numbers are. I don't care how many fans, you know, if you if, if you put us in a line and your line is longer than a Rams Nation line, it's just kind of like it comes down to the players, the game, and what it's about. So hopefully those guys can get back there. We'll talk about Super Bowl hangovers later in the show, but I do want to talk about a couple things because as the season is over, it's already moving fast into next season. Obviously, Zach Taylor has taken the job over at the Bengals. Now there's kind of talks about uh, – DB coach Aubrey Pleasant, Aubrey Pleasant uh, getting some looks over there as well for the Bengals defensive coordinator position. Any news on that or how this Rams coaching staff could kind of even, uh, you know, move on a little bit more during this offseason? Well, number one, that wouldn't shock me. Um, Aubrey is a guy that I've, you know, I've written about and uh, just feel like he's headed in the right direction in the, in the coaching ranks. That wouldn't shock me if he, uh, if he moved on. Um, you know, it would be a big blow for the uh, for the Rams. He's very, very, very well respected uh, with the coaches and the front office, with the players. They love him. Uh, and obviously, you know, they started really playing well um, uh, towards the second half or last uh, part of the part of the season, the Rams defensive backs. So that would be a big loss. It wouldn't be it wouldn't surprise me. I mean, I think Zach's naturally going to look at some guys that he's comfortable with and has a working relationship with and has a confidence in. And, and I mean, he just spent two years working with the Rams staff. So you would suspect that he's gonna he's gonna look there for some you know some some uh, coaches that he wants to take with him in in, in uh, promotional type you know as a as a promotion for them. So um, you know we'll wait to see on that. I wouldn't be shocked at all if there's somebody from the Rams staff or multiple coaches from the Rams staff who end up you know going to to Cincinnati with him. So as far as Zach Taylor goes, obviously now this is going to be Jared Goff's fourth quarterback coach in four years. You know, obviously he had Sean McVay there the last few years, and so there is some stability in the offense. But uh, any idea on replacing Zach Taylor in-house, or would this be maybe an out-of-house type of find? And then just kind of the overall thoughts of what that means for Jared Goff, kind of another quarterback coach. Is it as big of a deal as kind of some people are making it or is kind of the organization, you know, that he's used to being so stable, still good for him. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that that, um, you know, it's not ideal obviously, but it, 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 it's, it's a, also, you know, a matter of respect um, for the Rams and Sean McVay and the coaches that he has around him that people are, you know, uh, impressed enough to want to bring them to their team, you know, as head coaches and offensive coordinators, uh, we saw Greg Olson leave for the Raiders as their offensive coordinator. Um, that's how Zach Taylor basically got his promotion. They do have Jed Fish on the staff. Um, he was an offensive consultant this year. He has a history and a track history as an offensive coordinator, an offensive mind. He's very well respected with the Rams. So I would, I would expect that he would probably get you know some some dibs on 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 the position um, that that Zach vacated. I also wouldn't be shocked if they went outside the building. Um, you know, Sean has a good relationship with a lot of with a lot of people. Um, so, you know, 
this is just sort of the nature of the NFL. Your staff isn't going to necessarily look the same from one year to the next. There's always changes being made. There's always, you know, transitions and guys getting hired and promoted. And the good organizations always have a, uh, a list of possible replacements uh, that they quickly turn to. And I think the New England Patriots are a clear example of that. I mean, you know, uh, you look at Bill Belichick's coaching tree and, and, and guys that have left to go become get promoted. Uh, we saw that with, with uh, you know, their defensive coordinators on the Miami Dolphins head coach. That happens a lot. They lost, you know, Matt Patricia last year um, to the Detroit Lions. And they always have somebody in replacement that's usually pretty good. And if you look at what happened with the Rams two years ago, losing Greg, Greg Olson and Matt LaFleur, the guys that got promoted into their positions are relatively the same positions. One of them is now a head coach himself. So it kind of shows you that um, they've got good people on hand. And I think that they've always had a good plan for replacing the inevitability of coaches leaving. Zach Taylor was almost a coup to have on staff in his position that first year, he was, he was better than what his job title indicated, but they always, you know, it was, it was uh, proper planning on the Rams part to have somebody there so that if somebody were to leave, you had a great young coach that they felt strongly about that was, that was there on staff to, to fill the void. So um, you're going to see some combination of in-house and definitely going outside the building to, to replace whoever they lose as the ripple effect of losing Zach Taylor. Yeah, it's crazy. You talk about coaching trees, and you hear that term a lot, and you just didn't really expect uh, Sean McVay to kind of be able to you know, grow a coaching tree so fast in just a couple of years. But you're right, it's been uh, you know, a hot take is taking some of these people. And then them getting opportunities, like you also talked about, kind of when they had these positions, they came in with you know, great coaching experience and maybe the position that they had didn't really entail the exact coaching experience that they did have. So for these guys to grow out and go get some other coaching jobs, pretty cool to see. And, and you know, if you're going to be good in this league, just like you talked about with Bill Belichick and New England Patriots, it's kind of a rebuild thing, whether that's players or coaches, you just kind of have to take the next man up, find a good way, build a good system with a good organization, which it seems like the Rams are doing. So for everyone out there, it's kind of a, a relieving factor of, okay, we're not losing you know these core pieces. I mean, if we lost Sean McVay, I think it'd be a different story. But to have that guy in place yeah. in this organization, uh, I think we can trickle down some talent and find you know a good direction to go. So uh, I'm not too worried there. What we're going to do is we're going to step aside, take our last break, get a couple words from some sponsors, back on the other side. A little bit more look into the future of the Rams, some draft talk, and then what is next for the Rams. More on the other side, Thursday edition, right after this. All right, listen up, Rams fans, before we get on to the next segment. You know I got to talk about Tom's Urban. Just because the Super Bowl is over does not mean you can't go down there for anything happening around L.A. Live. We all know Tom's Urban is the best place pre or post game. Again, it's just a jump shot from Staples Center. It is literally the closest bar to the arena you can get to down there. So if you're going for a Lakers game, Clippers game, or just down there in general, you got to check out Tom's Urban. Monday through Friday from 2 to 5 p.m., they've got a happy hour where anything that pours is half off. Plus, from 10 p.m. to close, Sunday through Thursday, you can get the same deal, half off, anything that pours. Tom's Urban has a huge local selection of beers, a revamped menu. The food on Super Bowl was amazing, so go check out. Grab some food down there. 
make sure to ask their GM Harrison about the you pour floor. It's an amazing experience that happens on the second floor. 50 taps of self-serve pint possibilities. They got TVs everywhere. The game's always on. Their staff is friendly and attentive. Food's awesome, great beers. I mean, what more could you ask for? Make sure to head to tomsurban.com to see all the events and deals that they have going on in the upcoming days. My favorite place when I'm downtown LA, Tom's Urban. Make sure to tell them you heard them here on Lockdown Rams and they'll take care of you. Head to tomsurban.com for more details. This is Vinny Iyer, host of Locked On Fantasy Football with your Locked On Fantasy Football Edge of the Day. Tight end is a prime position for finding fantasy football sleeper value in 2020. After George Kittle and Travis Kelsey go off the board early, don't worry. You can wait and still get some great return for a starter at the position. The two prime targets both have HH for initials, the Chargers Hunter Henry and the Falcons Hayden Hurst. A healthy Henry can have a monster downfield receiving season for new QB Tyrod Taylor and carries high TD upside. As for Hurst, he's stepping right into the productive spot vacated by Austin Hooper in Atlanta as key support to Matt Ryan, Julio Jones, and Calvin Ridley. Trust in Henry a little earlier and Hurst a little later to give you some pleasing tight end one results. Get the edge in your fantasy football league every day by listening to Locked On Fantasy Football on your preferred podcast provider. All right, Rams Nation, we are back. Third and final segment uh, with Vinny Bonsignor. And I want to say thank you to Vinny for joining us all season long. Uh, we hope to have him back throughout the offseason during some of the big key points in the combine and the draft and to kind of get your take on everything. But want to say thank you so much, guys. Make sure to go give him a follow at Vinny Bonsignor on Twitter. The Athletic LA, if you don't have a subscription, it is time now to get one. Uh, the coverage that you guys do over there is amazing. Put together awesome articles. Uh, talking with great sources and getting that inside perspective. So we thank you for that and all the content that you've done all season long. It's been great uh, following you and, and hearing everything that you've put out there. So appreciate that. Um, and then as we kind of take a look, you know, as we're running towards, you know, the future here and, you know, the Rams have, I mean, just almost, it looks like their whole roster is up for, uh, you know, could be going to free agency or some sort of what are we going to do with this type of guy you know, as you look and just kind of in your, uh, you know, any bold predictions looking at this, obviously Tlaib, Peters, Barron, Sue, Brockers, Saffold, CJ Anderson. I mean, those are just a, the short list of some of the bigger names. But what is this roster turnaround going to look like, whether it's signing guys or letting people walk? I mean, any kind of have you taken a look at that yet and tried to even figure any of that out? Well, I've definitely been digging into it, uh, figuring it out. That's a whole other. Uh, <laughs> the Rams have a lot of questions and and uh, moving parts uh, to, to deal with. And you know, you, you, right off the bat, you look at Lamarcus Joyner is an unrestricted free agent. Dominican Sue is an unrestricted free agent. Um, Dante Fowler Jr. is an unrestricted free agent. Roger Saffold is an unrestricted, you know, free agent. So there's, you know, that's how many starters right there? Four or five starters right there. Um, that they're going to have to figure out. And, you know, do you bring them back? And how much do you, do you uh, commit to them? You know, I know there's mutual interest on all of those players' parts to stay. Um, there's no reason that anyone really wants to leave the Rams, uh, but it's going to come down to money and years and, and what kind of offers they believe that they're going to be able to get on the, on the outside market. Um, I could see them trying to lock in Sue, um, you know, maybe – 
uh, not as much on a yearly basis, but give him an extra year for you know some some extra security. Uh, but he's going to have his feelers out there to see what's out on the on the open market. Uh, Lamarcus Joyner, I could see him leaving and them trying to figure out a different path uh, at, at at safety. Uh, Dante Fowler Jr. I mean, if you're in 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 his position, do you say, okay, I felt comfortable here, I feel good in this defense, and I feel like you know if I give it one more year or two more years, I can really set myself up for a bigger payday, whether it's in Los Angeles or somewhere else. Do you do you take that path, or is there some team out there that just has fallen in love? With Dante Fowler Jr. after you know what he's done in the last eight games of the regular season and then and then the playoffs, um, is there somebody that's going to give him a big payday? I could see him coming back. I could see him saying, you know, you know, I'm not going to get the money that I really want right now. Um, so maybe let me give it another shot in a in a you know one more year in this system or one year with an option in this in this system around this, these great players. Maybe I could set myself up for you know a bigger payday. Roger Saffold, um, you know, I know he wants to stay, but I also know that you know he's going to do what's right by himself and his family financially. Uh, is there a team out there that's willing to to really uh, you know uh, pay him what he wants, uh, or or pay him more than what the Rams are willing to give him? You know, given his age and and the amount of years that he's been in this in this league, so. It's going to be tricky, and uh, Les Snead and the front office have a lot of work cut out for them uh, trying to make the right decisions because I know that they, you know, obviously they love the young core that they have in place when you're talking about Gurley and you're talking about, and by the way, they still love Todd Gurley. Don't worry about that. <laughs> um, and, and Jared Goff and, and Brandon Cooks and Robert Woods and Cooper Cup. By the way, they could have used Cooper Cup in that game. You yeah. know, when you look at the guys like the Julian Edelmans who are making plays out there, um, you needed a reliable guy, and not to say that Robert Woods or Brandon Cooks weren't, or, or Josh Reynolds, but you know, Cup had that sneaky ability to be able to make some big plays when they really needed to, and in a game that where the where the margin of error was so thin, a guy like that would have really helped. No excuses that the Patriots deserved to win that to win that game, yeah. but they have that young core, and they feel like. Okay, just properly building around that core is the key, and they did it this year. They got right to the brink, uh, weren't able to close the deal, but they got pretty darn close, and uh, and and that's what they want to try to replicate uh, again this off season. They do have a lot of draft picks as well. They're going to get probably two third round picks in compensation for losing Tremaine Johnson and Sammy Watkins. So there's that. They have their first round pick as of right now. Um, so they're going to have a pretty good complement of picks that they don't have their second round pick, but, um, they, they have, you know, they'll, they'll have a, a good amount of picks and we all know that Les Snead is creative when it comes to the draft. So we'll see what they get, uh, out, out of that. Um, but it's going to be an interesting off season, uh, trying to figure it out. That's impossible right now. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be really interesting. And that's, I think what's really exciting about this team is you make it to the pinnacle, you don't succeed, but uh, you talked about Cooper Cup, and you just popped back in your head. Oh my gosh, that's right. We have Cooper Cup coming back, and watching the right. three, those three wide receivers work together. And I think that was the biggest strength is is you kind of talk about needing a guy like Cooper Cup on the Super Bowl because 
you know, when you got the two wide receivers and, and Cooks and Woods that have obviously production, were able to carry us even, you know, as far as that Super Bowl with Jared Goff, but it was when the three of them were together that they just seemed, I don't want to say unstoppable, but it was almost really hard to game plan against them, all of them at once. You know, there's always one of them slipping away at some point. And, Coop, and Cooper Cup was awesome at finding that little hole. I mean, he would have been a huge help in the Super Bowl just to kind of relieve some pressure for Jared Goff, another target, to, to release the ball to. So that's the really exciting thing looking forward. And then, as you mentioned, Les Snead in the offseason. I am so excited to see what he's you know able to do in the last couple of years. He's really been, I don't want to say a wizard back there, but in a sense he has been able to kind of make things happen with – you know, kind of out of the blue or with, you know, very little and, and maneuvering picks and being aggressive at the same time. So I'm really excited to see what he does when he's got a few extra picks in his pocket. He's got some really flexibilities. You talked about all those players that could be coming or going. I'd love to see Saffold come back. I know, you know, he's been with the organization for such a long time. So it'd be nice to see him kind of have that opportunity to finish his career here and, and get a long-term contract. But you're right. He's got to do what's best for his family. Sue, I think, is a guy that I, I if, if you, the way you described it, I would love to see him be a part of this team again. If it was, you know, kind of a mutual um, agreement for both teams or both sides that it works well, maybe something where we're not overpaying him, but we give him a couple extra years or some incentives because he did play great near the end. And then we've got a lot to figure out as far as long-term, what we want with our cornerback situation, the franchise tag with Joyner you talked about. So there is a million things. There is no such thing as a boring offseason, especially when you're an L.A. Rams fan. There's tons to talk about. And as we kind of look even further, we'll talk more as we get closer to the draft. But with all that being said, and I know there's so many questions, so it's kind of hard to figure out. But you know, with that first pick, and if we do keep it or if we decide to move around a little bit, where do you think the Rams would be aggressive in the draft at what position or where should they actually really fill the need through the draft? Well, I know that they're going to look for some power and um, uh, dynamic athlete coming off the edge. I think that that's something that they're, you know, really going to be looking for. The the, the problem is, you know, and, and you talk to people in the organization, boy, are, is the guy that re you know, are, are we going to be fortunate enough for somebody like that that, 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 that you really want um, to fall to you at that point in the draft? I think they're, what, 31st in the draft? They're picking 31st now. Um, you know, will those big studs be gone by the time, you know, by the time their their pick comes around? And at that point, you have to do, you know, best player available for sure. Um, but I can see them being aggressive. If there's a guy that they like coming off the edge, um, that they feel can step in immediately, and maybe they have to make a trade to to go up and and, and get that kind of a player. Um, I would I wouldn't rule that out, you know, whatsoever. Uh, but there's always you know good young sleepers too. You know, we've seen it um, where where guys weren't necessarily a top ten pick, but you know, became really good players. Um, they wanted. I know that they want a day one starter. That would be the ideal thing, and ideally. Somebody that they feel it could get pressure on the uh, on the quarterback to compliment, um, you know, uh, Aaron Donald and what they already have. So that's a direction that they will go in. You know, they're going to want to try to get um, supplement their linebacker core. Obviously, you're going to need a pop, most likely a replacement for Lamarcus Joyner. Is that in the draft, or do you go out on the free agent market to go to go get somebody like that? It's going to be a combination of things, but but for sure, I think defensively. Um, you know, they're going to be looking to, to be more dynamic, you know, uh, on, on the edge. And, and I expect a lot of their focus on the draft to be in that, in that, uh, in that area. 
Another good thing that what we haven't talked about is Los Angeles and the Rams, trust me, are a desirable destination for free agents. So if there's anything that's going to work in their favor uh, in that regard, they've made themselves some a place as a destination. You know, they've got the new stadium opening up. They've got a dynamic offense. Um, in spite of what happened in the Super Bowl, they'll be back. Uh, a great young coach, uh, a, a great young quarterback. Uh, the weather, um, the market, you know, everything is working in there. A good team where everything's working in their favor right now. And I think players are taking notice of that. We've already heard some, some players, you know, talking about how they would love to come to L.A. So you're going to see that more and more, and that's only going to help as well. Yeah, I'm excited about this, uh, like you said, this free agent market. And, you I mean, you really built the picture there for us, but you are 100% right. Everything that they've put into work at this point, L.A. is a great destination. It helps really with guys like Sue sitting out there for two weeks during the Super Bowl saying how he made the right decision to come to L.A. and that everything's worked out as far as, you know, hit the season and how everything in the organization was. So you got a guy that really was on that borderline last year, picked L.A., and now is kind of this understanding of that blueprint here. Uh, really, is there? there's a lot to look forward to, not only as far as the team, but everything else in the market. Uh, so I totally agree there. And there's a lot of big names out there, so it's going to be fun to watch. Like we said, Les Need with a couple extra draft picks in his pocket, uh, looking at trying to get an edge or somebody you know, to fill in a couple of these roles. A uh, lot to get to in the meantime. We thank you for joining us today, Vinny. Again, everyone, make sure to go give him a follow, at Vinny Bonsignor on Twitter. We look forward to your coverage. Uh, have a couple weeks. Enjoy your time to kind of know you've been kind of running around like crazy. So enjoy that. And we look forward to when you guys jump back up and start, uh, you know, getting into the next piece of the Rams puzzle. And, and we look forward to talking to you then. Absolutely. And thank you. Thanks for having me on this year. It was, uh, it was a lot of fun. Uh, it was a great season. I know for Rams fans it, it ended, uh, you know, in disappointment. But there's a lot to be excited about. There's a lot to look forward to. Uh, it's really a matter of inches right now. And, and as we saw in the Super Bowl, just making a few plays uh, to, to, to close that deal. And, and um, I can assure you, in talking to, to Rams people in their front office, there are, they've already begun that process in, in, in how do you, how do you uh, get there again and when you do win it this time. So that's, what they're, that's where their focus is, and it, it started pretty much immediately after that game on Sunday. Well, it's exciting stuff, and we'll be there to chat about it. So we appreciate it, and uh, have a good one, Vinny. All right, take care, buddy. Really appreciate it. Hey, Locked On listeners, you already love our network of NFL shows, so why go anywhere else for the fantasy football information you need to know for the 2020 season? You just need to check out Locked On Fantasy Football, hosted by me, Vinny Iyer. We're counting down to the season by breaking down players and teams every day. It's no-nonsense, straight-to-the-point, smart fantasy football analysis that has only two goals in mind, helping you dominate your drafts and win your league championship. That's Locked On Fantasy Football, only on the Locked On Network.